A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is brought to you by StarCharge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world, and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage and microgrid solutions. And KimPower, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm your host, Francie. As demand for clean and sustainable transportation rises, so does the need for a skilled and diverse workforce to propel the EV sector forward. In today's episode, we explore the challenges and opportunities in recruiting for the EV space, a sector that is characterized by innovation, rapid growth, and a relatively short history which comes into play too. To join me in this conversation today, I have Raymond McSpirit on the podcast, CEO and founder of McSpirit, McSpirit Search and EV Recruitment, and Raymond Delfing, or Ray, who we'll call him, as to not get things, things confused, <laughs> you're the EV sales director. And thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Of course, I met Ray. I met you up at the Charin event in Cleveland, and I didn't get to see you, Raymond, but now we are all uniting on the Out of Spec podcast. And I'd love to start by setting the stage. So can you tell me a little bit about your goals and your mission with EV recruitment? Absolutely. So, you know, personally, I've been recruiting in the engineering and manufacturing space for the last 10 years. And you know, aside from being an EV enthusiast, you know, driving an EV, cruising around the city in my e-bike, um, what really attracted me to the industry is it's ultimately a combination of, you know, a lot of technical fields that are intersecting. So in my engineering and recruitment experience previously, you know, between working with um, industrial electronics companies, power electronics, um, components companies, fuel cells, battery manufacturers, telecom, engineering services. So it's really interesting to see the industry as a whole when, you know, most people, they see the OEMs, but, you know, you take apart that charger, you take apart that vehicle, you know, there's a whole tiered supply chain of contributors that, you know, are actually, you know, in my opinion, driving a lot of the innovations within the system. So it's been really interesting for us to kind of get a vantage point within, you know, those other, you know, technical markets. Um, that are contributing to this revolution. So, um, you know, for us, you know, we've been looking to differentiate ourselves by, you know, maintaining that intellectual curiosity because what's out there today is going to be completely different in six months. You know, as, as you said, we had met you at the Char and Testable event, which was great. Um, we're actually going to be exhibiting and I'm leading a panel at the EV Charging Summit this year. Um, and then Ray joined my team. Um, and part of my commitment to serve the industry is to have individuals on our team that actually come from the EV space, 
or preferably have a technical background um, from the recruitment standpoint. Um, you know, Ray, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I, I came from, I was working for an energy service company uh, for about five years and started dabbling, you know, my first year in, in the EV product stuff. Mostly we were focused around lighting. Um, and then really just got an interest for it and saw the need for, obviously still today, infrastructure. Um, and a lot of the clients I was working with were in those perfect locations. They were townships and um, commercial buildings with, with companies in them. Um, and that really got me excited about the EV space and seeing where it was going. So when I had the opportunity to join EV recruitment, um, it was kind of just a continuation of what I've been doing. But instead of working for one company to drive the EV future forward, um, now in a position to be able to help companies from pretty much every vertical that encompasses EV, you know, build their teams and, and get their piece of the pie in this market. Yeah, thanks for that. And Raymond, you mentioned that you have your experience getting around in things that are electric. Was that part of your motivation in moving into this space? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually had the car before we made a full commitment. So, you know, for us, we want to focus on, you know, the companies of today that will positively change our tomorrow. So, you know, going back beyond two years, you know, our focus is actually in water resources. Um, so, you know, we were working with a lot of companies in California and pump lines, pump station, levees and dams. Um, so for us to, you know, focus on a niche um, surrounding sustainability was important. So, you know, it was an easy, kind of transition for us just due to kind of our interest in where, you know, we saw the stage of the market and the growth opportunity. So personally, um, you know, I had a Mustang Mach-E, somebody that drove a 10-speed GT before that. Um, you know, I liked the noise of that car. Um, when the Mach-E came out, you know, that was to me, you know, the, the best of both worlds, you know, past um, you know, the, the past American muscle, you know, mixed with the future. So, you know, I had the Maki for about two years and actually recently had to uh, make the transition to the uh, Tesla Model Y. Um, it was purely an infrastructure decision, you know, you know, perhaps maybe some of the charging networks, you know, are, are you know, in a greater volume, as we know, in California, but, you know, being based in Philadelphia, driving to New York City, um, driving to DC, um, the infrastructure just really wasn't wasn't there for me. Yes, I don't think that is an uncommon story to consider the infrastructure that's around you. Of course, at-home charging is awesome if you can have it. But if you're on the road, if you're commuting, if you like road trips, considering the whole ecosystem, it's definitely, it's definitely been at the top of mind. So yeah, interesting. You have your own experience in EVs, which is great. So to pivot over to the strategy of your work, what are the major partners or market sectors that you focus your recruitment work with or in? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say we could break it down into five markets, happy to go into depth in each one. Um, you know, we've been working with a lot of EV charging, you know, manufacturers. Um, and it's been interesting to see, you know, a transition to what I call like the Gen 2 EV charging manufacturers that you know, have another layer of IP or, you know, technology, whether it's from the IOT side or, you know, the software side, we're working with one company that allows for, you know, remote uh, connectivity um, without the use of Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Um, and what I've liked about the EV charging companies is there's, you know, from a customer standpoint, there's no one size fits all solution. So, you know, really depending on, you know, the customer's requirements, you know, there's a case that could be made for one charger or five others. Um, and it's not just the charger, it's, you know, ultimately it's the power, um, you know, behind it, you know, is there, you know, additional battery storage required? Is there, you know, a place to integrate solar? You know, now we're looking at, there's companies looking at, you know, microgrids, um, you know, so we've been able to work with a few EV charging manufacturers that are differentiating within, you know, certain kind of niche that one example I gave you. So their, you know, application would be, you know, most useful in dead zones throughout the U S or, you know, inside parking garages where, you know, there's an issue um, connecting to Wi-Fi. Um, 
And then, you know, through our search cadence, um, you know, we recognize, as you said, you know, that's definitely, you know, a, a kind of common line that's, you know, used in any high growth market. You know, you see kind of memes about it um, where it's like, hey, I'm looking for 10 years experience in a five year industry. Um, you know, when we're recruiting for a new company in the space and they're looking for a business unit leader, you know, they're obviously coming to us to actually find somebody that, you know, has experience, you know, from a company or one that's matured a little bit past them that has, you know, that background scaling certain teams or launching a certain product with a certain technical background. Um, you know, so for us, it's about identifying all those environments and then, you know, approaching these executives and senior leadership with a role that has a lot more upside. Um, you know, however, when, you know, we're building out teams, um, you know, there's certain roles where, you know, if they have budget for, that's a big thing, you know, there, if you could always entice somebody with experience away, but I would say some of our most interesting searches have been when, you know, clients are kind of open to, you know, different environments. Um, so for us, that's, you know, through our search cadence and our research, um, you know, again, you know, can't, you know, overstate that. Um, you know, my team with their engineering backgrounds and, you know, we're constantly going to all these technical trade shows and, you know, jumping in kind of, you know, virtual conferences. Um, when we get on a new client, you know, we take the time to really try to identify, you know, what are those transferable company types or, or product lines that we could look for experience that would, you know, um, that would make for a good, good employee. So I guess for that one connectivity and Bluetooth example, then we look for people that had sales experience through certain distribution networks, resellers, because that was one of the channels. Um, but then also, you know, maybe smart home devices or um, remote lock access or, you know, um, auto automated building systems. Um, so for that particular client, we identified those three areas and, you know, it led to a, um, you know, quick, quick uh, final interview process. Um, I guess to go through, happy to jump in the various ones. There's some of the trends that we've seen is on the end. So we work with manufacturers and, you know, turnkey engineering services. Um, you know, we've, we've noticed earlier this year, there's been a market entrance of a lot of uh, telecom companies, um, you know, that are looking to launch turnkey divisions. So it's not just from we see it from a singular headhunting standpoint of transferability, but I think it's important to know a lot of the companies that are going to be successful in this market, you know, they have a transferable product line and labor force that makes their pivot, um, you know, a little bit you know, easier or natural um, to enter the, the EV market. So telecom companies, they know utilities, they know power, um, you know, they have the um, project management electrical engineering teams, they're kind of regionally focused. Um, so, you know, it's been cool working with a few of these large telecom players um, as well. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, you can't, you know, a lot of it is like workforce retraining. So, for example, we did an electrical engineering leader um, placement for them who had experience with EVSE and, you know, that those high voltage equipment and was able is coming in to ultimately like help, you know, train their project and engineering team on the um, infrastructure nuances. Um, similarly with, you know, their business unit leader who's going to lead sales and oversee the project management team. Um, so that was an interesting project. Um, Ray, what are, what are some other markets that we've been focused in? Yeah. I mean, we were, we were just at the, um, the advanced automotive battery show. So focusing on, you know, battery technology. Um, that's a very interesting market because as you know, that's a lot of the costs associated with EV right now of the car and then battery storage, you know, is going to play a big part in a sustainable charging system down the road. Um, so that was, that's another market as well that we've, we've been getting into working with, with clients there, um, trying to help them maneuver. Essentially a lot of those companies are, 50 75 year old battery technology companies um and they're looking to try to say well what is going to be the electric vehicle battery right what's going to be the chemistry behind that um because that's kind of a currently everyday changing there's a lot of new technologies new chemistries um that are popping up in that space um you mentioned the the telecoms companies but you know just turnkey companies and in, in general telecoms play into that um, but there are, you know, a lot of other electrical service companies. Like I said, I came from a lighting company. 
Um, solar companies as well are kind of in that similar space. They understand the utility side, how to work with their local utility companies, um, as well as power supply, power demand, and how to build build out those projects. Yeah. And then also too, on the, you know, in our EV charging client portfolio, you know, we've seen, um, we've been starting to work with companies, a couple that focus in charging as a service, um, focused on the fleet level. So, you know, that's been really interesting to me and us. And that's the other thing, as we get to work with like a new client, that's, you know, bringing a different perspective to the industry that, you know, no other company has, you know, we really enjoy going through, you know, the presentations that the leadership has had, you know, looking at their wins, their, you know, um, joint ventures, you know, what differentiates them from the competition, what's their long-term value proposition. So we're just kind of curious and interested in that. But, you know, as recruiters, that's super important because one, it just, it, it helps us effectively map out the candidate targets. But I think two, you know, we know how to articulate that in a very short amount of time to capture candidate interest. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, the best candidate, sure, people could be between jobs and, you know, still a great candidate, especially in this market that's, you know, people are getting laid off that at no fault of their own. Um, but, you know, most of the time, I would say, you know, the best candidates are the ones that are happily employed. Um, you know, they're not spending their time, you know, on the weekends throwing their resume around. They're working long hours. They're work, they're happy where they are. Um, they're hanging out with their families and their extra time. So, you know, it's all about really us just kind of capturing their attention and articulating the level of the opportunity to at least, you know, just get them to explore a little bit more. Then we take them through that interview process. Um, you know, charging as a service companies are interested because especially at like a fleet level, you know, you're able to kind of take it from um, a CapEx to an OpEx. And that's important for them with, you know, cash flow management. And the other part that I've learned, you know, researching about them is being technology agnostic is important. They almost see themselves as, you know, a technology partner um, where, you know, depending on the use case, there could be different software, there could be different layer of, you know, service required. Um, and then I guess to the next skill set, a good segue is due to the lack of, you know, the reliability issues that we've seen, um, which could, you know, it's great. The testable, that theme was about inoperability, um, which I think is so important, you know, that's the huge benefit of Tesla, right? You know, they're vertically integrated. So not just from the manufacturing side, the infrastructure side, when there's new software, you know, they, it's not a third party that has to then update every system that touches. So, um, you know, I think it's important when you have companies that, you know, are manufacturing, doing the technology, installing the chargers, doing the turnkey, and then doing the operations and maintenance, you know, the field service, that there's like full stakeholder alignment. So, you know, perhaps that could also be a shortcoming where we face a lot of, you know, reliability issues as well. Um, so another role that, you know, we've been focused on is like asset performance um, and, you know, engineering level field service um, individuals, remote monitoring, um, you know, looking for continuous improvement, um, more, you know, preventative, because um, at the end of the day, it is important that, you know, not just the amount of chargers in the ground, but, you know, the amount of uptime that they have. Um, because from experience, Ford, you know, lost a customer, you know. Yeah, there were some issues with the battery and some recalls, um, you know, which I could get into. But ultimately, there was a lot of issues with the charging station. So, you know, for me, like switching to, you know, it's not too much to ask if you're, you know, purchasing you know, an EV for reliable charging. Um, you know, then you talk to Tesla customers, it's like, wait a second, you actually have issues? Like, I've never heard about issues. So I wanted it to work, but, you know, maybe in a couple of years, I'll, I'll go back to the Maki. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think definitely that's something to consider. And yeah, you consider also a lot of different clients. It seems like not only those who have been in a part of the industry for a long time, maybe are a bit legacy that are switching over to a new kind of market. So they're looking for perhaps newer experience and also the the new companies that are looking for older experience to shift. So it, it, it kind of has some diversity there where I'm sure yeah. you have to employ a few different strategies. So do you think that I mean, whether it's key to your work or their work, a bit of an adaptive mindset to what kind of team you're trying to build and who you want to outfit it with is important. A hundred percent. 
I think when a leader is looking out, building out a kind of cross-functional team that the, the, the hiring managers that I think are approaching it the best are a little bit flexible with some of their initial hires. Um, and then they could, you know, build around them. Um, so, you know, sometimes, you know, we may be looking for, you know, certain criteria, but then we're sharing ideas with them where, hey, you could have somebody with a little bit less experience, but they're specialized in the space. And then maybe you could complement them, you know, in, the, in that next phase. Um, it's really too, I think for us with uh, manufacturing, um, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of the tier two companies, they have been you know, it's, it's very capital intensive to launch a manufacturing site. So, you know, a lot of these companies, I would say most of the tier twos, they've been working in adjacent products for a long time and then are just launching their, you know, EV focused team. So what they need completely new is sales. Um, you know, we see application engineering and then kind of technical marketing. Like that is kind of like the first kind of stage. Um, then, you know, there's different automotive quality in manufacturing requirements. So, you know, then maybe they need somebody on site that's a manufacturing manager with a strong quality background, um, you know, that could, could make sure they're, you know, compliant there. So one example is a DC to DC um, converter client of ours, but, you know, for a long time, they were working with data centers, um, industrial automation, and, you know, they got into the space a couple of years ago. Um, and we've helped staff up, you know, sales leadership, application leadership, global account managers, um, as well as a customer programs manager. Um, so those key people, and then they kept, they're able to utilize a lot of their existing uh, manufacturing and engineering team um, with just adding a few more kind of EV automotive focused specialists. Mm -hmm. It seems like there are pretty clear transferable skills that you can bring over when you're moving into a new space, the EV space, for instance. And then there's some that might require specific EV focused experience. But like we said, it's a new industry. It's uh, emerging. There's limited, truly limited expertise that we can have in a lot of ways. I mean, I guess you could stretch that a little bit, but it seems like you do tend to focus on those transferable skills, which are important, can be very clear. But in terms of the relatively short history, what qualities do you encourage folks to uh, consider or prioritize in potential hires? Again, it, it depends on the role, I guess, you know, to maybe start with, um, you know, advice that I would have for, you know, any, any candidate, um, you know, that's either especially ones that are looking to break into the space, you know, understand and be able to articulate where exactly, you know, your product experience is transferable. So, you know, research yourself, you know, maybe you have experience in a certain product category, then, you know, you see is high growth um, within the EV supply chain. So, you know, to be able to ar articulate that, um, you know, in your resume, um, maybe even add a line, Hey, um, you know, area of transferability, right? Let's say, um, you know, there's a lot of gatekeepers, um, you know, companies today, cause it's so easy to apply to a job where there will be a LinkedIn posting and the next day there'll be like 300 applicants. Um, and ultimately the hiring manager isn't going through all of those, but, you know, somebody who's, um, you know, not technical, um, you know, internal recruiters and, and HR is great, but, you know, sometimes an HR person, they're also responsible for uh, payroll, um, you know, um, internal relations. Um, and then they're expected to recruit in all disciplines within that company, whether that's finance, whether that's legal, whether that's administration and engineering. So they're told, um, you know, with very certain criteria from the hiring manager, hey, only share with me, you know, the 10 top resumes. So, you know, you have to understand that perhaps if the hiring manager had time to go through all of them, yours would have been in the top 10, but make sure you're articulating your resume where, you know, anybody, um, you know, could kind of understand it. Um, you know, in terms of the, it really depends on, on the role. So, you know, for us, a lot of our um, sales leaders, you know, CROs that we work with that are looking for a new like VP of sales or even just, you know, an account executive hunter, um, you know, just examples of, you know, kind of problem solving, um, you know, where have, 
you know, you executed on like an enterprise level deal? Um, you know, how, you know, did you salvage it? You know, what, what value did you bring as an individual speaking eyes versus, yeah, my team did this, um, you know, from it, sometimes it gets a little bit more straightforward for engineering related roles because ultimately you, you have the experience or you don't. But, um, I think, you know, just by positioning your background with a willingness to learn, um, you know, doing your research on the company, the looking up the people on LinkedIn that you interviewed with, or even checking out, like, you know, sometimes what I recommend for candidates is, if you're interviewing with the C-suite, you know, the best way to really understand like a person's mindset is, I would say, listening to a long form, you know, communication podcast. So, you know, I'm always sending over podcasts, recent podcasts they were on, you know, maybe, maybe there's an area of, um, you know, connection, maybe there's a connection point there. Um, you know, you just kind of understand their tone, you know, how they would may approach the interview. Um, so it kind of gives you kind of a leg up because you already know you know, the kind of personality that you're going to be speaking with over, you know, the next 30 minutes. That is a great, like, bite of advice. I feel like that's, you outlined it really well. If people are looking to move into the EV space, like, that should be a sound bite that they listen to because it can be intimidating. It's a new technology. You might not have that much experience, but find your value and find a team to bring it to and be able to communicate it. But those are great points. Thank you, Raymond. The um, other thing, too, uh, sorry, just yeah. to put on, especially maybe for, you know, a, a recruiter's value comes in most to clients for, I would say, like, you know, a few years experience minimum. But, you know, just some advice for some, you know, recent grads or college students that are looking to get into the space. I've always been like really surprised that like this year we were at the like Novi Battery Show. Um, you know, I had a, a Kettering um, intern working with me who was studying and, you know, had while she was like supporting me on the floor. Also, one of the days I'm like, hey, go out, like just start talking to companies, learning about things. I'm always like surprised by like the lack of college students. I see, you know, walking around a lot of these trade shows and, you know, sure, some of them are expensive. But, you know, if you're going to, you know, instead of spending your money on a Friday, Saturday night, like Novi Battery Show is a free show. Flights to Detroit are very cheap. Um, so I would just encourage, you know, people to, you know, get out in front, um, you know, shake some hands, ask some questions, um, you know, maybe you pick something up and then you bring that to your coursework next year to look deeper into it. And then you also have a reference point to leverage um, to try to get your foot in the door in that company. So um, I would just encourage people to, you know, just do a little bit more research and, and attend some of these trade shows where a lot of these companies that are driving the innovations are there and, and they're open to talk. That's a good point. I think taking that kind of initiative is really important. I wonder how much COVID has changed that, putting kids that were, you know, in school out of all the social situation and taking that back, but really taking that step forward, just putting yourself out there. It is so appreciated. You learn so much. It's invaluable experience. Uh, so I agree. I never did that, but I think that would be a good idea to go to the trade shows. Easier <laughs> 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 said than done. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, if the younger version of, version of me was listening to this, then I'd hop on a flight and go. That's exactly right. it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I totally have done the same thing where it's, you know, if I had known this when I was you in your situation, mm -hmm. I would have would have loved to do this or that. Um, and taking those risks, I think, in this space is you, we don't know where it's going. It is such a dynamic industry. Lots of things are changing. The technology changes. The regulation changes. The standardization changes, and it's a it's growing really fast as well. Do you see certain sectors that are growing faster than others? And also, I mean, you you kind of called back to layoffs that we've seen that a lot of us have experienced, and like you said, it's not always due to your performance, but the sh the shifting of the industry um, and those growing pains. So, which sectors have you seen grow really quickly, and then also, do you maybe see slowing? Um, I think that at the end of the day in a high growth market where there's a lot of upside and opportunity, you know, you're having a lot of companies, you know, have a different approach that are ultimately fighting for that same kind of market share within. So, you know, in any high growth industry, you know, you're going to have, um, ultimately more losers than winners. I think that, you know, there's definitely been some, 
challenges for smaller companies that maybe are, you know, showing some, you know, good growth to raise money in these capital markets to sustain growth. Um, I think that's obviously trickled down. Like, you know, it's funny, you could, you know, you could obviously cut up a statistic in any way, but, you know, a lot of people are, well, you know, EV sales, you know, sure, we, we passed 1 million, but, you know, we thought they would be a lot higher. You know, you could also say, well, you know, with these high interest rates, you know, there also hasn't been a lot of sales for cars overall. So I think that, you know, a lot of companies anticipated, um, you know, more adoption, um, you know, we're passing this kind of early adopter phase, you know, and I was talking when I was selling my Maki back to the dealership, I was just kind of asking some questions. I was like, Hey, do you have people that come in the door that, um, you know, buy an EV after considering, you know, all the vehicles. And he's like, no, everyone that walks in the door is like, Hey, I want to check out the Maki. I'm also looking at a Tesla. I'm also looking at a Rivian. Um, so it seems like, you know, there's not a lot of people or not enough right now that, um, you know, are evaluating. And the fact that he doesn't even, you know, he didn't know that the the sales guy didn't know that the seven and a half grand tax credit you could realize on site next year. And that's like in a couple of weeks. So, you know, those are strong selling points. Um, I don't think it's super, I don't think it's that complicated, you know, why are they not, you know, so they're not being, whether they're incentivized enough or they're not, you know, being trained or directed enough to actually, you know, push the benefits of these. Um, so I think it starts with, you know, with the sales force and kind of education as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how next year plays out, but, um, you know, there's been companies that, you know, I don't know if we want to name names, but, you know, we've worked with some name companies them. that just kidding. Yeah, just name them uh, that have gone. You know, we've seen some big companies like you know Proterra, for example. Um, you know, it's tough. You know, for us too. Like when a client owes us, you know, money for a lot of work that we spent on searches, and you know, they they just go under. Um, you know, we're you know you you're in the back of the line. So it's you know imagine then all the other service providers, all their you know tiered manufacturers that have and supporting them that aren't getting paid. So there's definitely a trickle down effect with every, you know, large company that goes under, um, you know, for, for growth, I would say there's, you know, a lot of, um, you know, manufacturing, you know, coming back um, to the U S which is great. Um, you know, I think the administration did a great job, um, to kind of in, encourage that. Um, so there's a lot of investment in, in the U S markets. Um, so, if, you know, that's been another kind of, um, target for us is identifying the, international companies that have been in the space at a high level, whether that's in Asia or whether that's in Europe, that then, you know, see the opportunity in the U.S. market, entering the U.S. market, but as a requirement to do business here, need to have X amount made um, by U.S. manufacturers. Um, so that means, you know, they need to have a boots on the ground team. They need to, you know, pay for uh, a, you know, one example is a, a pretty reputable um, EV charging manufacturer from Europe, you know, they're building out, you know, their, their site in the Carolinas is going to start as more of kind of a service center. Um, you know, they need boots on their ground at their U.S.-based contract manufacturer. Um, you know, then their, you know, kind of supply chain changes where they need to source kind of components and sub-assemblies from U.S. manufacturers. Um, so there is, you know, a, a growth in, I guess, every area. Um, however, there's players in all those areas that are just because it's just business that are, are going to struggle, that are you know going to get surpassed. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And so as we're talking about you know financial stability, stability of the market, and I, I also think about sustainability, but also the mission-oriented sustainability, more of that environmental consciousness that is more and more popular, especially among the workforce and young people and older people, everyone. I mean, a lot of people are trying to say, I want to make an impact with my work. Of course, different values for different people. But Ray, have you seen an emphasis on this amongst whether it is companies recruiting or people trying to find a job with a more mission-oriented goal become more popular? Or do you think it's still kind of just a eh, good job? Nothing. Yeah, 
I think that a lot of the, you know, what companies are looking for in these employees and kind of what Ray was touching on when, when saying, you know, how to position yourself in front of these companies is they want somebody who's, who's driven, right. And, and is a problem solver and wants to innovate and contribute. Um, you know, that's, that's the mindset that, that most of these companies are really looking for. Um, and I think that is because that's where all of these companies are. Um, no matter if you're on the EBSE side, I mean, obviously level two has kind of gotten to a point where they're, they're pretty standard, right? But there's still a lot of room in level three. Um, I would say battery technology, kind of going back on that. Um, there's, there's a lot of room for big environmental impacts to be had. Um, companies there talking about saving 50% energy and producing 25% more product with like 50% less byproduct. I mean, we're not talking about a point or two, right? Which, which in some industries could be major changes of half of a percent, a percent difference, right? There's still major, major percentages to be had in this market. Um, and I feel like that's for the candidates and for the companies, right? Kind of that, that joint of like, we can both make a big impact. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that a lot of the, the candidates side are, you know, focused on sustainability. They have a general interest in that. Um, because that is what, at the end of the day, aligns with most of these companies' true mission statements, right? They're they're trying to do their part, obviously, but the end goal, right? If you're producing the car itself, the the charging system, right? Okay, well, EBSE companies, I know I've worked with a lot of them. You know, they're working with battery storage companies. They're working with power providers, right? So how can we work together to make sure that this all comes together? Um, so I feel like each each avenue, even whether it's engineering, sales, a technical position, um, you're you're always going to be surrounded by that. You're going to be selling a new product. You're going to be selling a different version of your product um, to really actually have an impact to what the future is going to be, which we all know is electric vehicles. Yeah, I think the move towards you know the triple bottom line, people, planet, profit is more and more not only you know an ideal, but actionable because of how the way that technology is going, whether regulation is pushing for it or you have innovative leaders that are saying, look, we can solve this problem, be it a social or a natural issue and alleviate it with this kind of technology. And of course, you build a business model of it. So I think you can find the kind of technical prowess, interest, good jobs that align with missions more and more. And I think that is very, very cool. And of course, this space tends to consist of a certain demographic. I'll let you fill in the blanks. But how do you see building equity and diversity into teams um, to be like, what is the best approach for that? Do you see it being prioritized in the ways that it should? What's your thoughts on that? Definitely um, prioritized. Um, you know, for us, we're very, you know, vocal um, and transparent with you know, for when we're representing a candidate, um, that would be a diverse hire. You know, we're making sure that, hey, diverse hire opportunity. Um, you know, as recruiters, you know, naturally we are, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at the skill sets and what's on the resume. You know, I know from in, in, in regards to our team and the selection process, you know, I very rarely have I come across. I actually haven't come across where, you know. I haven't submitted a candidate or added a candidate because of a certain color or sex or, you know, uh, belief system that they ascribe to. So all, you know, recruitment is really based around, you know, for us anyways, is around skill set. Um, however, you know, there's definitely companies that hiring managers that we're working with um, where, you know, it's important for them that a particular role, you know, they, they do add a diverse hire to the leadership team because it's, clearly and obviously, you know, very important. You know, there's a lot of um, statistics out there with, you know, the performance of a diverse board and leadership team um, and their success versus ones that aren't. So, um, you know, when it comes, you know, for us with certain search initiatives, you know, we we're looking for um, a diverse candidate um, for sure. So it's been really cool um, and great to see, you know, companies prioritize that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's, you know, super important and it's not, you know, just the right thing to do. It's actually, you know, we'll, we'll make a more productive work environment, which I think is the ultimate goal. 
Yeah, I definitely, you know, it's not just checking a box. There are true studies, there's data and statistics that point to, like you said, a diverse team, whether it's background, like, you know, which is awesome, I think, bringing background, but different ideas and perspectives to a team, you can have the the best kind of success and be more creative with your problem solving and all of that. So very interesting. Thank you for diving into that. I'd love to touch on your in your work so far. You obviously have diverse clients. Um, you're in a very dynamic sector. What are the can you share a success story or a key insight from your experience in recruiting for the EV space and perhaps highlight how, you know, the the short timeline that it has existed it presents an interesting challenge, but there's ways to overcome it and build a great team. I would say, you know, from a success story, there's a couple, but the most fulfillment I get is when, you know, for, for when we place a candidate, we're like, like one, we're changing the candidates' lives and, and their career trajectory. You know, we're creating a, you know, better, um, a better chance of success for the client because they landed a great candidate and, you know, we're, you know, working towards a, a better future for the next generation. So, you know, we find, you know, a lot of fulfillment and then, you know, putting myself in some of the candidate shoes, you know, it's been really cool to, you know, land placements of, you know, international candidates that are having their visa sponsored um, and, you know, talking about their families and, you know, where they want them to, you know, go to go to school. You know, I would say, you know, despite um, a lot of, you know, challenges in our, our political system, um, and this isn't just the EV industry, you know, over the last 10 years of myself recruiting and highly technical manufacturing sectors, you know, there's been dozens of um, placements um, of international candidates that, you know, are adding a lot of value to the U.S. Um, you know, manufacturing ecosystem, and are pursuing you know the American dream, um, and you know, looking to set themselves up in, in a better life for for their family. So, you know, I think that's you know something that you know I think is important to share too. Um, I guess specific success stories within um, you know the. I would say, you know, there's this one semiconductor client um, that, you know, the who had diverse product lines. And as the EV product category started to, you know, increase in revenue, this individual um, had more say over hiring, not just under his team, but um, teams that would affect his team. So really being able to strategize with him as he's maneuvering internal dynamics with other leaders to ultimately, you know, have those positions that report into other leaders, you know, have a background that he's also interested in. So it was cool to kind of work with him and strategize on, you know, not just the challenges of, you know, the candidate, but also, you know, his internal challenges of, you know, his positioning and, and working directly with him. So, you know, then fast forward a year, you know, we're five placements later, you know, they're, you know, doubling the revenue of their product category, you know, they're looking to open up a new facility and expand. Um, and, you know, those placements were key contributors to that growth. So, you know, a lot of our six, you know, what I enjoy is seeing, you know, it's great. You you could be transactional, which a lot of recruiters are in land placement. But then if you could actually fast forward a year, two years from that relationship and you see the several people that you've placed there and, you know, they're happy, their careers are growing, they're getting promotions. Um, you know, I love when I see a placement I made five years ago then was promoted. You know, to me, that's, that's the best. Um, you know, so we, we are focused on, you know, repeat business. Um, you know, we do get a 70%, you know, a resume to uh, submission to interview ratio. So, um, you know, we really share in, in our, in our clients wins and, you know, we're, we're equally excited every time a new candidate accepts a position. That's really great. Yeah. In terms of like key performance indicators, not just that you place someone, but what's happening a year from now, five years from now. Uh, I think that's really important, especially when we're thinking long-term and how 
the space shifts and as things shift, I'm sure you have future plans. So could you tell me a little bit about what your next goals are, what you are looking out for? Is there a certain part of the tech here or the industry that is really exciting for you? Yeah, we're starting to work with more, um, you know, technology companies, um, on the semiconductor side, you know, we're working with more GAN companies. Um, that's been interesting. Um, you know, other as a service type companies, companies that are battery as a service, charging as a service, um, fleet as a service, you know, which is more kind of like a fintech product. There's a few companies that are that are doing that, um, you know, so. And that's cool. The, the, the fleet as a service, um, because the titles are owned by a fund where investors could offset their capital gains um, by, you know, acquiring, you know, those titles through the fund. And then, you know, then the their customer um, has the ability to, you know, lease, um, whether it's a vehicle or, or a fleet. So just just as a side note, that's a new client that we've been working with. Um, for us, it's super important. Um, for us to stay engaged in the space. That's, you know, my commitment and, you know, why I'm looking to hire like-minded individuals. Um, so, you know, we're adding to our team, you know, this quarter, um, you know, we, last year we did, um, it was called, I called it Philly EV. So we had a, I did a 300 person um, networking and panel event where I brought representation from, as, you know, Ray was saying, you know, different stakeholders um, within the space. So from Pico, from the utilities companies, from, uh, the director of sustainability from uh, City Hall came, um, individuals from wireless charging companies, uh, battery companies, engineering services. So we had a very successful panel, um, and I'm looking to build on that this year in June, um, you know, hoping to do, you know, have close to 500 people out. Um, I'm going to have um, the GM from EV Box on there, um, the chief product officer from Inductive EV, which is a wireless charging company, um, and then a, a few other um, tentative commitments. So, you know, that's important to me. Um, we're going to be sponsoring um, and exhibiting at the EV Charging Summit this year. Um, that was actually one of the more exciting shows we were at last year, um, you know, where I'm, I'm going to be moderating um, and, and leading a panel um, on um, changing or organizational structures and, and workforce retraining. So, you know, that should be interesting. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, trying to, you know, make our set our clients up for, for success. Um, so we need to grow to, you know, make a larger impact. Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting to see where we are this time next year. Yeah. That sounds like a really interesting event, a great panel, um, that you take the initiative to put together. I, I like that. I appreciate that. I would probably enjoy attending that event. You should come. Okay. okay. <laughs> I will. Um, that would be great. And then I know you also didn't mention your vaultstyles.com aspect, but do you want to t talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, the branding side of things? Yeah. So that was kind of just a fun uh, project for me because I previously um, was, you know, spent some time in the retail space in design as well. So um, for the holidays, um, it started as an idea to, you know, give our clients a gift, but to create, you know, um, industry inspired merchandise where design themes are, you know, from our clients product categories. Um, so what I've done is for all my clients created a hundred percent discount code for them um, and then directed them to the design that I think they would be most interested in. So you could check it out at boltstyles.com. Um, you know, at the moment, um, it's, you know, 100%, and this is for the unforeseen future, 100% of proceeds um, are going to go to an electrical, a high school student looking to study electrical engineering. Um, I think that as we're talking about, you know, um, EV adoption and society's transition, as, you know, you are, as we are, you know, contributors to the space, um, you know, it's even more important. Um, to spread that awareness and encourage, you know, future contributors um, and adopters that are making a decision between another industry or, you know, another um, car selection. So, um, you know, to me, this was, you know, just was a natural fit within our mission. I thought it was kind of cool and, and fun thing to do. And it sounds like I got to make you a, a discount code after after this interview. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and do that. I love it. Um, yeah, I think that is it's good to have fun as well as, you know, do the hard work and get creative. That creative mindset, I think, cannot be 
overvalued. You got to have a little bit of fun sometimes and get to brainstorming. And I like that aspect too. And thank you, Raymond. And Ray, you know, you went from tech, you know, the technical side of thing, hands-on to this side of things. What has kept you most motivated? What has been most exciting about the work so far that you keep taking into the each day after each day? Yeah, so I was working uh, essentially selling turnkey projects for, for level two and level three stations. So I spent a lot of time on the phone with Pico, one of our local providers, um, as well with walking through buildings with building engineers. Um, and then in the early days, downtime was surprisingly worse than it is today, even. So, um, you know, a lot of time standing out there next to the station and on the phone with tech support at different levels and, and kind of learning where could this be going wrong? Um, so that was kind of my initial curiosity. So now, now getting to see the whole spectrum is, is extremely interesting. Um, I also drive an EV, right? So, um, that's, that's pretty recently for me. So, you know, another way to see what are the challenges, right? Where, where are the struggles for drivers? Because I need to experience them so I can best help our clients, you know, realize those as well. And then we can best position clients or, um, candidates that might have that expertise to bring to the table for those companies. Um, so for me, it's been really expanding my horizon, right? And, and seeing the rest of the, the rest of the picture. Um, when I was just working on the charging stuff, I knew a lot about kind of that and, and all the verticals that, that go into that space. Um, but, you know, now getting into the cable connector side, um, the, the building of the vehicle with the tier ones, the tier twos, the battery technology, you know, it's not just the battery in the, in, in the bottom of your car. There's, hundreds of companies, you know, bringing cathodes and um, electrode material and all of that together to pull that battery together. So for me, it's just been very, you know, curious market to be in and get to get to learn in and see the different pieces of the puzzles and how everything comes together to be this, you know, seamless experience for the user at the end of the day, where they are just plugging in a car and they're going about their day all merry. And they're not putting any thought to, you know, what's behind the curtains that, that we get to dive into and learn about. Yes, that is the ideal, right? Don't even have to worry about this. Conversations that we have on the day-to-day -day will be history one day about right. charging infrastructure and all that. But yeah, it is a big picture. It's a lot to take in. So thank you for helping to fill in some color in this part of the exciting and growing industry, which is, you know, recruiting for this dynamic space, as I've said, and we'll say again and again. So I appreciate your time today, Raymond and Ray, so much. I'm so glad that we got to meet half in person and half virtually. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for your time and effort for to sharing with me and our audience your expertise about this, I think, interesting part that we don't really cover that much on the Outspect podcast yet. Yeah, we'd love to, um, you know, hear from your audience, whether it's a possible client or, you know, perhaps just a candidate, you know, looking for some direction. So we'll always make time to, you know, people that proactively reach out to us. Um, I think the two area, the two uh, markets that I'm looking forward to the most this year would be um, wireless charging. Um, have really been enjoyed following and working with the company in that space, and then. Mm -hmm. You know, the other missing component to batteries is uh, battery recycling companies. So, um, you know, once we get to that point to, you know, ultimately recycle the full battery, you know, that's that's when the loop is essentially closed. Right. So, um, you know, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to innovations there. Me, too. I love the topic of EV battery recycling. It is so interesting. <laughs> Closing that loop. That's really I feel like the epitome of what we're going for here. Cradle to cradle society. So yeah, thank you both, Raymond and Ray, of course, folks, if you have questions for them, leave them in the comments, but definitely go straight to evrecruitment.com, reach out to them, as Raymond said, seems like they're open to it. And thank you for tuning into the Out of Spec podcast. We will catch you next time on the next episode. This podcast is brought to you by StarCharge, the largest EV charging manufacturer in the world, and is also a provider of residential and commercial battery storage and microgrid solutions. And KimPower, the reliable, quick, and scalable EV charging solutions for everyone and everywhere.